Hello, hello. Welcome to episode two of Words with Writers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Canadian Authors Association's Toronto branch. We are a membership-based organization for writers in all levels, areas, and genres of the writing profession. We are your hosts, Chris Gorman and Brandy Tanner. We're so happy you're joining us today. We're going to tell you all about the event we held in May, what's coming up in June, what events, webinars, and contests to look into this month, and of course, the highlight of our show, we have author Perobi Doss discussing and reading from her new ebook, What Will It Be This Time? And lastly, we will let you know all the great things our members are doing right now. But before we begin, there is something happening in the world right now that we need to acknowledge. The violent and tragic death of George Floyd has changed the world, and we are all finally opening our eyes wide to the systemic racism that plagues our species. Canadian Authors Association and we as individuals condemn the crimes and injustices committed against Black, Indigenous, and all people of color. We denounce hatred in any form and pledge to rail against all sources of systemic racism. By reading, watching, and listening, we can gain a greater understanding. Those of us who are not BIPOC can listen to, learn from, and support those who are. All of us need to advocate for change, stand for those calling for justice, and act with compassion and courage. As writers, we have honed language skills that can be used to rally our communities to act. As writers, we can be a force for good. And indeed we should. Now, Brandy, we're going to return to the issue of diversity and equality soon, but I'd like to talk a little bit about our last event. If you're new to Canadian Authors Association, we have special events every month. Right now, since we're still practicing social distancing, our events are online. Last month, we celebrated self-publishing and were joined online via Zoom by two independently published novelists, Anne Shortell, author of Celtic Knot, and Michael Newman, author of Between These Walls. They shared their journey of bringing their novels to fruition. Both authors shared a number of insights into the ways they've been promoting their work. And both Anne and Michael were absolutely amazing in their answers to the audience's questions. Yeah, I was there too, and I really enjoyed it. They both had such an amazing amount of information to give about the process of self-publishing, about realistically what to expect when you do self-publish. It was another truly excellent virtual event. We're full of them. <laughs> We're full of them. <laughs> that should be our tagline. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we have another great event this month, of course. On June 25th, uh, we will welcome Charlie Petch for a workshop. Uh, more information will be forthcoming on our website uh, very shortly, and you can find all of that on canadianauthors.org slash Toronto slash events. As for our regular webinar series, June 17th was Going Solo self-publishing tips and tricks for those first starting out, hosted by Krista D. Ball. 
And next month, you can join us for Characterization and Character-Driven Conflicts with Ron S. Friedman, an award-winning science fiction author from Calgary. During this webinar, you will learn a simple psychological model that can help you as a writer to understand human behavior and utilize this model in your writing to create reliable characters that readers can relate to and understand their motives. You will also learn a few philosophical worldviews and how that can help spark believable character-driven conflict. And then we'll be looking at real-life fiction examples to see it in action. Spots are almost filled up, so register now through canadianauthors.org. Yes, and if you are interested in this particular webinar, I do encourage you to register right away because I know there were really less than 10 spots um, available. So I've already registered. Please, if you're, you're into it, go and register right away. So if you're looking for some contests to participate in, there are a couple coming up in July that you can try your hand at. For poets, there's the Vallum Award for Poetry 2020. Poems may be on any theme or subject as long as they're unpublished and a maximum of 60 lines each. You could win a first prize of $750 or a second prize of $250. The deadline's July 15th and there is a $25 entry fee for Canadian entry. If you're a nonfiction writer, there's the PRISM International Creative Nonfiction Contest. That deadline is July 16th. That one you could win a grand prize of $1,500, a runner-up prize of $600, or a second runner-up prize of $400. There's a 4,000 maximum word count per piece. And again, the entries must be unpublished. CAA's Toronto Virtual Writing Circle is a great safe space to gather feedback on works in progress. Please email Canadian Authors Toronto co-president J.F. Gerard at hello at jfgarrard.com or visit our website, canadianauthors.org slash Toronto. Perfect, thanks, Chris. So that was a lot of great information, but now it's time for what we've all been waiting for, the main event. And please do forgive us if there's any small glitches in the interview you're about to hear. We're all staying safe from recording this from our own separate spaces. So once in a while, you may hear something a little funky, but it should be overall not too bad. <laughs> so please get comfy, grab your tea or beer or whatever it is you like to sip on and get ready for our interview with Perobi Doss. We are so happy to welcome to the show today, Canadian Authors Toronto member, Perobi Das. Perobi Sinha Das is a writer, poet, and blogger from Pickering, Ontario. 
She holds a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature from Ranchi University, India. While taking creative writing courses at the University of Toronto, Hirobi's first novel, Moonlight, The Journey Begins, took shape, leading to short stories and poems published in a literary journal and community newspaper. Her short story, Child of Water, won a grant from the writer's community of Durham Region. Welcome to the podcast, Hirobi. Thank you, Brandy and Chris, for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. We're really excited to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> well, before we get into the many questions that we have for you, we are excited to hear about your debut collectional essays, What Will It Be This Time? Can you tell us a little bit about your book before you give us a reading? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, these are personal essays, uh, glimpses of my life in India and Canada. When I began to write them, actually in 2015, you know, before I knew it, I had a huge collection of essays. As I sat down to reread what I'd written, you know, I noticed certain themes evolving. So I decided to group the essays under their own theme. So in each essay, there is a part of me, and by writing it, I'm attempting almost to interpret that particular incident in my life. Themes that evolved eventually are change, learning, life, nature, nostalgia, personal well-being. That sounds like a great idea for an essay collection, Parobi. So I think maybe without further ado, we will ask you to read from What Will It Be This Time? Oh yes, absolutely. I'll be delighted to. So the essay that I would like to read is called Another World. This essay came to me after I had been visiting with a friend of mine who had recently lost her mother. I started to think about it and to think that mothers are going to be immortal. Uh, but they are human too. Um, and when they pass away, what happens to their belongings? Children who are left behind then have to deal with their, not only with their own grief, but, you know, all this material accumulated over the years. And each thing wrapped in its own memory becomes a story of its own. This is the essay I wrote. Another world. A friend once told me the most traumatic time for her was while cleaning out her mother's home who had just been moved to a senior's residence. Her mother hadn't wanted to move. No amount of glass, greenery, and bright lights placed just so in the foyer to make it appear elegant. To a person being moved into a senior's residence will always be just that, an institution. The only thing personal here is the bedroom. Even that is questionable. Who wants to leave one's hearth and home and all that is perceived safe? A situation like this can be deemed highly hostile to the person concerned. Doesn't matter if the person keeps losing things, doesn't remember to turn up the stove, mixes up pills. The human mind will still refuse to acknowledge that it needs help. That is how we are wired. We never know when to ask for help. Or even if we do, we don't want to. We look on it as loss of dignity that first step of many steps leading to complete dependence on others. I look at the stuff we have accumulated over the years and still cannot bear to part with. Our kids' baby clothes, the box of Barbie dolls, a full complement of GI Joes, with some still in the original packing. Our daughter's first story she created in grade one, our son's first painting at age four, each item with its own set of values, 
call it sentimental, but extremely valuable, nevertheless. I attempt to compromise with our children. If they take what's theirs, then they won't have to clean up after. After what? They ask in unison, waiting. You know, after, I mumble. They fall silent and a few minutes later walk away quietly. Once again, I face defeat. I stare at the boxes and the stirrings of the all too familiar feeling of tiredness washes over me. I'll deal with it another day, I promise myself, trudging back upstairs to immerse myself once more in whatever I was doing before all of this started. That's how we are, putting off the obvious. Cleaning up, the word is actually decluttering, or if you must, downsizing. That sounds so final. Is it the end or just the beginning? To another world, to another phase, to another time. Life's a full circle. But there is a lesson to be learned here, and it is not all gloom and doom. Each treasured item put away tells its own story, to be unraveled by gentle fingers, memories rekindled, chuckles and smiles all around as those stories are retold by the next generation. How very beautiful life can be if only instead of rushing through breathlessly without even a backward glance, we remember to pause, take note, see it for its worth. Living life can be done mindfully. I discovered this profound truth when I worked in Toronto. I had made a practice of taking a walk in the afternoon around the neighborhood where my office was located. And no matter how busy my desk or how inclement the weather, every afternoon found me walking towards Riverdale Farm. This is a working farm with animals, walking trails, long avenues of very old trees, lovingly cared for by the city, and perfect place for children to romp and roam to their heart's content. Not a day did I miss walking through this heaven on earth, this thing in the middle of the city. This was the time I would let my mind wander as I sat on a rustic bench, lifting my face to the gentle rays of the sun, which by its very gentleness heralded the advent of spring or other days when I enjoyed a shady spot in the heat of summer, only sound that of buzzing from bees as they collected nectar from clusters of flowers and children exclaiming in wonder at the black-faced sheep. Every day was special. In this urban oasis of calm, I was able sometimes to find inspiration for my poems or had that sudden burst of insight into a chapter of my novel, the one that had stumped me for so long. Once I discovered this place, I wanted to share it with my colleagues, encouraging them to get out more often, breathe in some fresh air, to take care of their health. Managing human resources had turned me into counselor, sounding board, listener, it had also made me aware of human frailty. Why not then allow nature to lend a helping hand? Unfortunately, not too many seemed interested in taking a walk at lunchtime. They would rather enjoy fellow with colleagues in the lunchroom over bowls of food and conversation. This is a good thing too. I like to create memories out of everyday life, being quite happy by myself, but I'm not a loner. I do thrive in company at the right time, that is. But I love those afternoon walks, happy in my own company. And so we have it, the crux of the matter. As human beings, each one of us is brought into this world with a very specific set of qualities, fitting into a very specific time slot, 
molded into an existence that has been determined ages before we even knew that we existed. Just thinking about this profound truth brings me unutterable joy. For if we weren't here this moment, how would we be able to build memories? Those boxes waiting to be sorted through stand out as beacons, testimony to a life lived with love, fun, and laughter. I will let them be treasures from my children's growing years and our lives unfolding together over time, a glimpse into another world. That's an amazing excerpt, Parabi. It's such a great description oh, of, of the thank city. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And I, I love the description of Riverdale Farm too. It's one of my favorite parts of the city to walk through and I can totally see myself following in your footsteps there. So Brandy and I, when we pre-read some of your essays, we love the common thread that we found woven through your essay collection and how each essay took us through an event in your Canadian life that sparked a memory of your life in India. So would you be able to tell us a little bit more about exploring that connection to both countries and culture? Oh yes, absolutely. When I first came to Canada, I found myself enjoying each day as though it was an adventure about to unfold. I never really felt myself out of place. So it made me wonder sometimes how I could feel so much at home here. It didn't come to me until much later that the saying home is where the heart is does have some truth. Only in my case, I had portioned out heart into two sections. One portion was here because my husband was here, I had married him and he, had, he was already living here. And the other portion I left back home in India where I grew up. And, you know, thinking about these two emotions or sentiment, I reached a conclusion. Life is not very different, whether in India or Canada. One day, my dear friend, she was just taking me through the countryside, you know, uh, in Durham, going through hamlets. And we started to chat about our, our childhood. And when I mentioned to her that the milkman used to bring his cow to our house to be milked so we would get fresh milk, she, she said, oh, yes, we had the milk van in Toronto and they would deliver you know, milk in glass bottles. I said, well, yeah, that's almost kind of similar. Only you didn't have a cow brought to your house. <laughs> and that took me thinking about another friend of mine who's from Ireland. Uh, and she said to me that in Ireland, in the village that she was growing up, they, there used to be a gentleman who used to carry a huge big uh, trunk, like a, you know, steamer trunk with multis in it. And that reminded me of the trunkwala. We used to call him trunkwala, the man with the trunk on his head, like a suitcase, but much bigger. And it was made of, I think, steel. And he had lots of goodies in it. So the common connection we share is the fact that we are human, no matter what color or language. We belong together. We are interconnected. This truth leapt out when I began to compile the essays into a collection which eventually, as you know, turned into a book. So true and amazing. Thank you. I really love what you just said there, Parobi, the uh, common connection of us all being human. That's a beautiful statement. I think it really hits home, especially right now. And when you say home is where the heart is and you, you kind of felt split between the two different countries, I can really relate to that. I'm from Nova Scotia, but I've lived in Toronto for the last decade. So I often feel kind of split in two because I love both places. 
So I really relate to what you just said there. Thank you. Now, did you always have a love for writing? Was it something you pursued your whole life? Or was it something you began pursuing after moving to Canada? Yes, I always loved to write, but never really thought of authoring stories until much later. I think it was the early 2000s when I enrolled in a creative writing class at the University of Toronto, St. George campus. That was a difficult time for me because I had just lost my job and I myself personally was feeling lost. And then it happened that same friend, she found out about that. And she came up to me and she asked me, what is it that, that really makes you, gets you excited in the morning? Oh, wow. And there's the magic of it all. When she said that, and then she said, why don't we just pick up our pencils and sit somewhere quiet and start writing? So she and I started to write. And it was so magical because when I was in school in India, I had a pen pal who lived in Ottawa. We were quite young that time. She and I became long distance friends and we wrote regularly long letters with news of family, weather, festivals, school events, everything, you know. Then one day a letter came to me. She suggested in that letter that I come over as an exchange student. Oh my gosh, I was so excited that I ran to my father. He, of course, would not have wanted his youngest daughter to sail across the ocean to a foreign land. And then here, years later, here I am, you know, I'm writing. So I think life is really magic sometimes. There's, there's so much magic in life. That's very true. So where do you do most of your writing, Karabi? And when? Is there a time of day that you find suits you better? Great question. You may not believe this, but actually used to write from a dining table. <laughs> I mean, we have rooms upstairs, but I, I never really wanted to go upstairs and, and write. And there's a very good reason for that, but I'll, I'll come to it a little later. So writing from my dining table, it became a bit of a problem because at the end of the week, I had to you know, clear away all of my notebooks, pens, pencils, et cetera, and take them upstairs and clear out the dining table because we like to entertain and we like to have sit-down dinners. <laughs> so when it became too much of a problem, I decided to appropriate a corner of the living room and went and bought this narrow table, which now has my PC, one notebook, a couple of pens, a calendar, and, and just a few other things. Nothing fancy. I am very simple by nature and I like simplicity. Although I do have one criteria. I have to face the outside. I cannot face the wall while I'm writing. So I wanted my table set up in such a way that I would look out the backyard, uh, which I do all the time when I'm writing. And I love to watch the squirrels who visit. I like to keep the door open for fresh air. I start my day not by writing per se, but actually by reading or listening to a poem. And then I start to write. And it doesn't have to be new writing every day. I am in the midst of edits, huge, heavy edits right now. And I feel that that, that is also writing. Um, so yes, I do write every day. I need to. I discovered something about myself a while back. The day I don't write for whatever reason, I don't feel well. Uh, when I wrote on the go train, the words kind of flew out of my mind. I wrote everything by hand, then transcribed it over the weekends. Most of my short stories were born this way, along with the novels and the poems. 
when I write at home, sometimes it is a bit of a challenge to get into the flow of things, distractions like the phone ringing or someone knocking at the door, or maybe just the knowledge that I have freedom to leave a bit different from writing on the go train or writing at home. And this is why I believe self-discipline is so important. Self-discipline is definitely something that I struggle with with my writing. (laughs) So I get that. And also I could see as I was reading through your collection of essays, I could definitely see the love of nature in almost all of them. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you face the window and outside world. I love it. So, Kurobi, what inspired you to tell your story through a collection of essays? Oh, uh, fantastic question. When I was writing the essays, I only wrote for the love of writing. I never thought of sharing it with anyone. And I suppose there was this unconscious desire at the back of my mind to leave something for our children, uh, like a poem. Uh, that's also part of the roots. I did not have any plans at that time to to publish it. Then the pandemic happened this year. So here I am in the middle of the first draft of my third novel, and I found it wasn't getting anywhere because I was feeling so dislocated as all of us felt probably at that time when it just started all over the world. I struggled. And then I decided to step back take a break, do something different. And this is a difficult time for all of us, as we all know, we are living it. But, you know, it's also a time that has given me a new perspective on life, priorities, community, the world. So I found myself wondering, what is my contribution towards our world? As a writer, what is my responsibility towards my readers? And also during this time in March and April, I was participating in two writing forums, writing organizations that I'm a member of. And we were given challenges for each day of the month. And that I found cathartic. Instead of feeling helpless in the face of the pandemic, I suddenly discovered new strength within me, telling me I should present those essays to the world. I owe it to my readers, to the world. Perhaps then whoever was reading them It might help lift some of the gloom and doom, bring a bit of comfort maybe, even a spark of interest in life itself, glimmer of a smile, you know, that's how it evolved. A glimmer of a smile. Well, your, your reading did give me that. How long do you think did it take you to write your collection of essays? Oh. I have always liked to write essays, even at school, but the idea of putting them together never entered my mind. And then in 2015, I gave up my job to write full time. And it was also the time when I was invited to have a guest column in a local newspaper. So I began to write essays, personal essays, things that had happened in my life, short pieces. I was, I was trying to reach out to our South Asian community And I wanted to give them a glimpse into life in India. Uh, And perhaps their parents could relate to that and they could start a conversation with their children. So these short pieces were written. And before I knew it, I had a large collection. Uh, Now that newspaper is no longer, but my essays are here. And the essays in What Will It Be This Time is just a portion of what I've written in two years. That does lead me into wondering, how did you 
know you were finished writing and revising and ready to publish it as an ebook. It took me about a month to put it all together. And then I went like, now what? Uh, in the beginning, I was actually, to tell you the truth, I was quite resistant to the idea of publication. I think I was afraid. Then as I you know, had mentioned earlier, taking part in those challenges had somehow helped me overcome my hesitation, that fear, uh, without actually realizing it. I had left my comfort zone and I think I was ready to face the world, give my writing as a gift to the world, even if only one, but at least there will be that one person who may have laughed seriously after reading one of the essays. <laughs> And it'll be a beautiful gift to the world, Parobi. Mm -hmm. I do want to circle back real quick just to the reading itself near the end, where you say, for if we weren't here in this moment, how would we be able to build memories? And I, I love the whole essay, but this, uh, this sentence actually resonated with me. And I just wanted to ask you, how do you think literature in the future is going to be influenced by our society's collective habit right now of avoiding the presence in this moment and instead distracting ourselves with cell phones and tablets and not paying attention to the world around us? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because there's so much happening around us right now. The world has always been a very busy place, even when you go back centuries, uh, you know, all kinds of things happening. But right now we are facing something like our generation that we have never faced before. And I believe, that's the romantic in me, I guess, that we are changing inside ourselves without us knowing it. And we are being more mindful about it. And I think people are also communicating to each other more. And I believe we, we are going back to basics, like writing by hand. I know we have technology. Right now we are using Zoom. That is a huge big technology and we are, we are doing it via this technology. But I believe people are going out gardening and uh, digging the soil and, and soiling the hands with the, the moist earth and uh, you know lifting their faces up to the sun to get some sunshine in this isolation period that we have. I think it has brought us closer to the basics of life and how we react to each other, how we help each other. I, I think uh, a new history, new set of books or writing will be written by people now. And that is my belief that we are going to be doing something different. And I hope I'm right about that. <laughs> I hope so too. That's, uh, that's a beautiful answer. I love it. Thank you. Funny you say that about gardening. I just planted my very first flowers. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, and you know what? You're right. After I spent some time out That's in the great. Sun, and after I spent some time out in the sun with my hands in the soil, you're right. Afterwards, I came up in my studio and I did some writing. That's it great. Inspire me and make me feel, you know, more connected to to nature and that can be very inspirational. We are living in different times now. Definitely. Um, so Parobi, I know you said you resisted the idea of publications for a long time, but have you ever considered getting any agents for any of your other writing or your novels? I do have two finished novels and I have pitched the first, uh, been asked for the full manuscript. 
but it has not found a home yet, unfortunately. So I'm still trying. And the second novel is also at the stage where it can be pitched. I'm just waiting to finish my current project and then start the pitch process of my novels once again. And I'm also working on a book of poems. I'm just finishing up editing them. So I want to put it out as a book of poems. Keeps me busy. <laughs> That's good. You have that self-discipline, like you were saying before. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and everyone who loves yeah, I, What Will It Be This Time can look forward to a whole lot more writing soon. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> now, you just uh, mentioned that you were in the editing process. So what does that process look like for you? Do you work with, do you outsource any of that? Do you work with an editor? Do you do that all yourself? Uh, I don't, um, I don't have an editor, but what I do is uh, once I have uh, finished a project, I do have a, a, a circle of people, uh, readers actually, and I will send them out uh, my draft, my final draft that I have polished uh, with, you know, questions and they can answer the questions and they can also come back with their own questions. So that's, that's the process I find that's working for me. Uh, I may in future uh, uh, look for uh, an editor uh, for my book, but I haven't done that, but I don't have an editor at the moment. Now, can you tell us a little bit about what it's like from a process standpoint to publish your ebook through Kindle Direct Publishing? And uh, what was it about them that made you choose them specifically? Oh yes. When I finally made up my mind to publish my book, I knew it would be through Kindle Direct Publishing, KDP, because I had done some research previously and I had you know, taken part in their online tutorial, read reviews, and found the steps quite simple to follow. Even for me, I'm not at all tech savvy. So even for me, the steps were very simple. Um, still learning, I'm still learning. So once I hit the send button, I said to myself, what have I done? You know, my mind went blank. I tried to push all of my concerns, fears, and doubts to the back of my mind. And I really wanted to leave the country. But then we have a pandemic on hand. <laughs> and, and of course, the whole world is in it together. Where would I go? So the, then the first email from KDP arrived telling me how to get up my author page ready on Amazon. And that was exciting. <laughs> so after that, we emailed back and forth a few times. And I have been satisfied so far with their quick response. Awesome. I'm really glad to hear that you've had success. So we know you've just recently released What Will It Be This Time through Amazon uh, Kindle Direct Publishing. Uh, what avenues are you going to explore for marketing and self-promotion? To tell the truth, I haven't really promoted or marketed my book so far very much, except for uh, putting, up, putting it up on my author page on Facebook and uh, Kindle Direct Publishing, what they are doing for me. Um, and I have also put it up on my, uh, on my own website. Um, but I will look into what KDP is offering. They, uh, you know, they are very good. They, they keep me on my toes. And if they have something more to offer, I'm going to certain, certainly explore that avenue. And uh, <laughs> I find, like, 
I have to learn so much so quickly uh, because I've, I've set this out, you know, I've, I've started this thing. <laughs> right. And uh, sometimes I find that I'm spending more time on thinking of ways to market and promote my book than actually writing stories. So that's kind of the downside of this, because side of being an emerging author is quite challenging. So, but I will definitely look into more avenues, you know, like virtual book launch. I haven't done that. And I've seen people doing that on Facebook. So uh, that's another thing that I want to look into. Absolutely. It's a, it's a huge challenge to promote your existing work and create new work at the same time. And for anyone who has not yet picked up her book, uh, you can find her work at karobitsinhadas.com, on Facebook at karobitsinhadas, and Instagram, karobitsinhadas. Great. So you had mentioned that you have two finished novels and a book of poems. Can you tell us anything about what type of novels those are, uh, and, and which you want to publish first. Is it the book of poems you're trying to publish next? Uh, yes, I write literary fiction. And the first book actually uh, took shape when I, was, um, when I was attending creative writing courses. That has been like a long time ago, actually, uh, over 10 years. But I have set it aside, also be uh, trying to publish once my a book of poems is published and then I will tackle the second novel but in the meantime in between I am tackling a third novel. Staying very busy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your first novel again? Uh, yes the premise of the novel is child marriage. Child marriage was still prevalent in the early 19th century and, and even later. And even to this day, there is some evidence of it. But it, it has two characters. It's about female empowerment and how courageous a woman can uh, in this uh, volatile world of ours and how it is needed, female courage. So this is two females. Now one is a contemporary, she's 19 years old. And the second one, grandmother, who was a child bride and who had disappeared. But what happened was my heroine, she hears gossip about her grandmother. She comes up to her parents and she wants to know more, but the parents really don't want to talk about that. And there are no pictures in the house, which is very strange because that's what she feels that this is so strange. Our house has no pictures of the grandmother. And then she finds out something, a very uh, telling clue, actually the inciting incident. And that's when, she determines, and she's 13 at that time, she determines that she has to find out more about her grandmother in order to get her the name of her family up, you know, out of that mire of criticism and uh, gossip. And what happens is she, she, she comes out as a very, you know, a shy person listening to her parents, a typical Indian girl. When she gets married, she has her own challenges, but that incident, finding out that little clue about her grandmother changes her. And she finds that strength within herself and she has to actually confront quite a few challenges, which are really sometimes it's dangerous. But that's when she gets that courage. 
she will do the journey. So the, actually the name of the book is Moonlight, The Journey Begins. Because the heroine's name is Chantani, which is Moonlight in Bengali. So I, I decided I would give it that name. So that's kind of the premise of the story without giving out too much, sorry. Oh, yes, you, you need to release that one soon because I want to read it right now. That sounded oh. very, I want to read that book right oh, now. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Yippee. <laughs> Um, so we are almost at the end of our time here, but before we go, when you're reading for pleasure, what's your favorite genre or type of writing? What do you like to read just for fun? Uh, what a lovely question. My reading includes anything and everything under the sun. Like I'm a voracious reader. I want to read everything. So, and I find there's so much out there so much in the world. I find reading to be the best pastime and I wish there were more hours in the day to do it. I like stories about family, relationships, travel, adventure, mystery, detective stories, historical fiction, stories about belonging, brokenness, and of course, poetry. I'm actually a fan of all of those types as well. I love a good detective story. I'm a vor voracious reader myself. I'll read any type of fiction there is, and some nonfiction, but I do love yeah. fiction. Me as well. <laughs> That's great. You're in, you're in good company, Pierogi. <laughs> so Pierogi, in closing, do you have any final words or advice that you would give to aspiring writers? Work hard, have faith, never, never give up and write from your heart, uh, be true to yourself, and be humble. That's excellent advice. Great advice, that's good advice, not just for writing, but for living. That's excellent. Uh, thank you. Well, Purobi, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. It's been a pleasure to have you here. Yes, thank you so much. We loved your reading. You had some really encouraging and inspirational words for us here today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I loved every minute of it. Um, stay safe and keep well. Proby is such an excellent speaker, Brandy. I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to speak with her and learn a little bit more about her life in India and Canada and what it's been like to be a writer here. Me too. I thought her conversation with us was eye-opening. I really love the way she describes things and uh, the words she uses. Uh, I also thought it was a really nice reminder for us all to be mindful and present. 2020 has been such a chaotic year and we're not even halfway through. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Well, now seems the perfect time to announce the news from our members. First up, we are pleased to congratulate our very own Canadian Authors Toronto co-president, 
Lee Parbart on receiving an honorable mention in the Negative Capability Press Spring 2020 Poetry Contest for her poem, Deadheading in Late August. She also won ARC Poetry Magazine's inaugural award of awesomeness in May 2020 for her poem, Hello Goodbye. Wow, way to go, Lee. She's always had our award of awesomeness, so it's great to know that someone else is seeing it too. <laughs> some of our other committee members also have some news. Pamela Yoon Elkerbout and Susanna Molinolo co-wrote the poem, Postcards We Never Sent, which has been published in the anthology, COVID-19 Poems from the Lockdown, and is now available on Amazon. Susanna Molinolo also had her five-word poem, Nervous Gut Like Garbage Truck, published in Neutral Spaces, Issue Concrete, available at neutralspaces.com concrete. Gordon K. Jones is pleased to announce that his crime thriller, Saving Tiberius, is scheduled for release by Bookland Press in July 2020. When word is leaked that Morgan Watson's cat, Tiberius, miraculously cured itself of diabetes and may hold the key to a cure, he is attacked and almost killed. As he and a strong-willed police officer, Paula Rogers, search for who is behind the brutal attempts to get Tiberius, they find themselves intertwined with the growing list of dead bodies. That sounds like quite the page turner. I have to say, I really love Susanna's uh, poem title, Nervous Gut Like Garbage Truck. I'm gonna have to look that one up. <laughs> I, I love and, that one too. Yeah, it's, it's a great title. And lastly, we have Pigeon Soup and Other Stories by Rosanna Nisolata Battagelli, which will be released in fall 2020 by Anana Publications. The characters in Pigeon Soup and Other Stories are navigating relationships and grappling with issues of translocation, language and identity, religion and culture, and food. These tales portray the dark places they inhabit physically, emotionally, or metaphorically, with twists that sometimes provide a flicker of hope. All of these exciting news sound super awesome. They sound exciting. <laughs> yeah. And of course, if you didn't catch that, or you're driving and can't write them down, these announcements are available on our Facebook page at Canadian Authors Association Toronto Branch and on the CanadianAuthors.org website. So if you have an accomplishment or upcoming publication announcement, or if you want to be featured on the podcast, please email me at cjgorman at gmail.com or brandy at batannerphotos at zoho.com. And that's zoho with a Z, so it's zoho.com. Okay, Chris, I guess that brings us to the end of our second episode of Words with Writers podcast. We hope you had as great a time listening to it as we had recording it. We want to thank everyone for listening. Thank Perobi Doss for being a part of the program. And we hope you all join us again on July 18th for our third episode of Words with Writers podcast. And one last note, 
from both me and Chris. Happy Pride, Happy Pride Month. Month. Bye, everyone.